The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Good morning, church family. I hope we're all doing well on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, so thankful that all of you decided to come out and worship with us on a three-day weekend. Uh, I know a lot of times people, they'll take advantage of a three-day weekend and they will get out of town, but I'm just so thankful that you all are here in your place. And we had such a good crowd in the early morning service, uh, worshiping the Lord and looking into His Word. And I'm so thankful that you are all a part here this morning as well. Uh, kind of by way of introduction, how many of you have ever noticed before how most advertising, most marketing or commercials, uh, they tend to play to people's insecurities? Have you ever noticed this before? Uh, you'll see a commercial and the commercial will make you feel like if you don't buy this product, if you don't use this uh, thing, if you don't eat at this restaurant, if you don't go to this particular event, man, you're going to be missing out. Or there's something in your life that you're not going to have or something won't be right. Uh, you're going to be incomplete if you don't get this thing. I mean, every time the Olympics rolls around, this always cracks me up. How without fail, every year during the, not every, the Olympics start every year, but every time the Olympics roll around, uh, you will see a commercial by McDonald's with this Olympic athlete advertising for McDonald's, eating a McDonald's hamburger. And I'm just like, now here's a person who has dedicated their entire life to training. They've dedicated their entire life to being the best in this one sport, for this one event, for this one moment in their life. There's no way in the world that person would ever eat McDonald's. But there you have it on the commercial, this Olympic athlete advertising McDonald's. And I'm watching and thinking, yeah, I want to be a gold medal winner. Come on, family, let's go to McDonald's. We're going to go get some fries. Every year, every time the Olympics roll around without fail. Uh, in the 1920s, uh, this is more of a real-life example. Uh, women did not smoke. It was uh, considered very culturally taboo for a, a lady to light up a cigarette. If they did, they would have been severely judged for it. Smoking, as they would have said in the 1920s, was to be left to the men. Women did not smoke. It was a big no-no. Well, this posed a problem for the tobacco industry. Here you had 50% of the population who cannot use your product because of a social stigma. And as the president of the American Tobacco Company said at the time, he said it was a gold mine sitting right in our front yard. Now, they tried multiple times to market cigarettes to women, but nothing ever seemed to work. The cultural prejudice was just too strong. It was ingrained too deep. Uh, but then in 1928, the American Tobacco Company hired a man by the name of Edward Bernays. He was a young hotshot marketer, and he had some wild ideas about the way humans think, and he had wild ideas about how to market to those people. And his marketing tactics at the time were unlike anybody had ever seen. You see, at the time, most marketing or commercials, it was based off of facts. Here's a list of reasons why this product is great and you should buy it. Marketers thought human beings were rational and made decisions off of facts. Well, Edward Bernard's, he thought the opposite. He said, people aren't rational. He said, for the most part, people are unrational and they don't make logical decisions. They make emotional decisions. And so his marketing would play into that. He didn't believe that they were rational, but he believed that they were fundamentally irrational. So you had to appeal to them at an emotional or unconscious level. So the tobacco company, they had been focused on convincing individual ladies to buy and smoke cigarettes, but Bernays saw it as an emotional and a cultural issue. So if he wanted them to smoke, he had to shift the balance and turn smoking into a positive emotional experience for women by reshaping the cultural perceptions. To accomplish this, Bernays hired a group of ladies, and he had, them in, he had them put into the Easter Sunday parade in New York City. Now, in the 20s, this would have been equivalent to like the super time half full show. So he planned it so that at the exact right moment, these women in the parade, they would stop, and they would all light up a cigarette at the same time. He then hired a bunch of photographers, photographers to take pictures of these ladies and pass it out to all the major newspapers, and he told all the reporters that these ladies were not just lighting cigarettes, but they were lighting torches of freedom, demonstrating their ability to assert their independence and be their own women. Of course, it was all fake. But he staged this as more of a political protest because he knew this would trigger the appropriate emotions in women all across the country. You see, women had just earned the right to vote a decade earlier. Women were now, for the first time, working outside of the, uh, working outside of the home, in the workplace, becoming more and more integrated into our country's economic system. For the first time, they were being their own women. And Bernays knew if he could hitch smoking equals freedom to the women's liberation movement, well, tobacco sales would double and he'd be rich. And you know what happened? It worked. 
Bernays went on to completely change marketing to what it is today. Marketing today, like we said, it appeals to our emotions. It makes us feel insecure if we don't buy a product. It plays to our emotions and our weaknesses and often leads us to make irrational decisions. All of that traces back to Edward Bernays and the way he started marketing at the end of the 1920s. Why do marketers do this? Why do they play to our insecurities? Because it works. The truth is, we as humans, we tend to be as a whole really insecure, don't we? Why are we so insecure? We are so insecure because we feel like we aren't whole. And when you really look at it, these feelings of insecurity are the result of living in a broken society with compound generational effects of sin. When you consider for hundreds and thousands of years the generational compounds effects of sin in our lives, it's no wonder we're so insecure. It's no wonder we feel like we're so broken and we are not complete. In fact, sometimes I wonder why things aren't even worse. The book of James tells us that sin, when it is finished, brings death. It brings death to the part of our life that that sin is in. And so that sin, our sin, oftentimes makes us feel incomplete. It oftentimes breeds these insecurities inside of us. Uh, But it's not just our own sin that makes us feel incomplete. If only it were that simple. I mean, there's some of us, and maybe in your past, there was some abuse. And it wasn't your sin that made you feel incomplete. It was somebody else's sin. There was maybe abuse. Maybe you were cheated on. Maybe you were betrayed. You were lied to. You were stolen from. And it's not fair. It's not right. But the ugly reality is you're stuck in the mess of somebody else's sin. You have these feelings of insecurity now. You are dealing with your own brokenness because somebody else sinned. And it doesn't seem fair and it doesn't seem right because you have lost something that you should never have lost. Something was taken away from you that should never have been taken away from you. Maybe it's not even sin. Oftentimes for many of us, it's just a complete and total tragedy. Something or someone was taken from your life in in a moment and you don't understand. It's not fair. It makes no sense. You wrestle with, why did this happen? Why, Why would this happen to me? You wrestle with that hurt. You wrestle with wondering, will I ever be whole again? But it's not just the marketers that prey on our insecurities. Oftentimes we do it to ourselves. Uh, sometimes we try to overcompensate in areas we're insecure so that we can convince everybody around us and ourselves that we're okay. And so we'll overcompensate. Other times we'll swing to the other extreme and instead of overcompensating, we'll just completely avoid it. Whatever those insecurities are, whatever that brokenness is, we'll be like an ostrich with its head in its sand. And just try to totally, completely avoid it, yet hoping if I avoid it long enough, maybe it'll just go away. So we overcompensate. We avoid. Oftentimes we try to fill that void with something that promises that it'll satisfy, but never will. Why? Because we don't like to fill that void. We don't like to feel like we're incomplete, and so we try to fill that void with substances. We fill that void with alcohol. We try to fill that void. Why? So that we can trick ourselves into thinking that we are okay, and it never works. So we try again. We overcompensate harder. We try to convince more people. We try to keep on avoiding it, thinking maybe this time it'll just go away. If I could just pretend like it's not there, if I could just buy one more thing, if I could just get into one more relationship, maybe this time it'll be different. Maybe, maybe, and we could go on and on and off. We keep trying to fill the void with stuff, with experiences, with new relationships. I mean, the church at Colossae would have dealt with this. This is partly why these heresies that were so prevalent in their day and age were so dangerous. Because they promised to scratch the itch, but they would never heal the wound. They might make it feel good for a second, but it never would actually take care of what was going on. It would never actually authentically heal them. It would never bring completion. It would never bring healing. You see, our wholeness, like the church at Colossae, can't be found in some new philosophy or some ancient human rite of tradition or passage For us today, it can't be found with more traditions or more things to do. It can't be found with filling it with substances or material things or more relationships or more money or more avoidance. I mean, we could go on and on. Wholeness is found in the person of Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul, he's explaining how Christ is actually enough for us to feel whole. For us to feel complete, for us to actually authentically experience the healing 
that we so desperately long for. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 16 through verse 15. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read our text here this morning. We're currently in a series of messages entitled The Secrets to a Satisfied Life, looking at how Christ is enough. And throughout the series, we've been showing, we've been looking at the book of Colossians, seeing how that phrase, Christ is enough, it's not just a bumper sticker. It's not just this cliche that we often say, Christ really is enough for us to experience wholeness or completion or whatever it is in our life. We're seeing how Christ is enough. If you're a guest here today on your way in, you should have received a service program guide on the inside flap. There is a connection card that you can fill out. You'll want to drop that off at the welcome tent on your way out this morning. There's also an outline that you can use as we study God's word together this morning. But let's read our text, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 6. Paul says, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, we're going to see how that phrase is important here in a minute, as you have received him as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. One of the marks of a believer who's being established in the faith of the finished work of Christ, who's being rooted and built up in the gospel is their life overflows with gratitude. Verse number eight, he says, be careful, be careful. If you notice, I, I believe this is actually the first actual command that Paul gives in this book. Be careful, he says, that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty tradition, or an empty deceit based on human tradition. Be careful that no one takes you captive based on elements of the world rather than Christ. He said, don't let anybody fool you. Christ is enough, he's saying. Verse nine, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. And you were also circumcised in him, with him, with the circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ, verse 12, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, verse 13. And when you are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was taken against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Let's pray, and then we're going to see how Christ is enough for our wholeness. Father, we thank you so much. Uh, Lord, for Memorial Day weekend, as we take some time to remember those that laid down their life for our physical freedom, Lord, we thank you that there are people who are willing to do that. Lord, we thank you uh, for those who... Um, lost everything because they, they loved somebody that gave everything. Lord, we thank you for the physical freedom that we earned, but Lord, as we saw in the video this morning, we would be remiss not to thank you for giving everything for our spiritual freedom. Physical freedom without spiritual freedom is nothing, and so Father, we thank you for dying to save us. We thank you for erasing our sin and all the ugliness that goes along with it. And I pray as we look at your word this morning, your spirit would speak to us and show us how we can experience wholeness, we can experience completeness in you. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, there are two aspects of Christ's person and work that make him enough for our wholeness that we're going to see this morning. The first aspect that we're going to see this morning is based on the person of Christ, and that is very simply Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. We see this in verses 6 through verses number 10. Paul says in verse 6, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, Lord means ruler. It means he is in charge. He has the authority over all heaven and all of earth, the Bible tells us. Jesus is in charge. He is in complete control over every little detail of our lives and over every little detail that takes place in our world. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is ruler. He has authority. He has power over everything that is taking place in our lives. Jesus is sovereign. He has the final say in all matters, period. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is as we consider the fact that Jesus is Lord, 
is do we allow him to be Lord in every area of our life? Do I allow Jesus Christ to be Lord, to be the final authority, to have complete control in every area of my life? You see, because by allowing Jesus to be Lord, that allows us to experience his power and his authority over what makes us feel incomplete. When I allow Jesus to be Lord in my life, that allows me to experience his power and his authority as Lord over what makes me feel like I'm incomplete. Now, Paul says, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Church, how do we receive Christ Jesus as Lord? We say this all the time. By grace, through faith. Let's all say that together. By grace, through faith. Good job. One more time. By grace, through faith. Right. Christians, that needs to be the mantra of our lives. By grace, through faith. We receive Christ Jesus as Lord. You see, living with Jesus as Lord of your life really is an incredible gift of grace because it allows us to experience his power and authority over what makes us feel like we are incomplete. But our flesh doesn't like the idea of Jesus as Lord, does it? Because if Jesus is Lord, that means I'm not Lord. That means I'm not in charge. That means I'm not in control. The idea of Jesus as Lord means I have to surrender to his lordship, and our flesh does not like to surrender anything. Our flesh likes to hold on to the illusion of control and autonomy, does it? Our flesh likes to feel like, no, I'm in charge. My flesh likes to feel like, no, I call the shots. But really all that is is an illusion. When we realize the amazing gift of grace that we have been given in the lordship of Jesus, we get to live with those amazing benefits as well. By grace, through faith, we are to live our lives step by step, day by day. We are to conduct our affairs in conscience submission to the lordship of Jesus. Everything I do should be under the realization and under the submission that Jesus is Lord. The way I live my entire life should be under the submission that Jesus is Lord. Now, this takes faith, especially when we don't feel like we're whole. When we don't feel like we're whole, when we're feeling insecure, our feelings don't want to surrender. Our feelings want to try and get control. Our feelings want us to think, no, I'm in charge because I need to fix this. Our feelings don't like to surrender. When we feel insecure, when we feel like we're missing something from our lives, we tend to do what? We tend to try to grab as much control in every other area of our life as we can, don't we? Because we think, I have to fix this. I have to control this. This isn't going the way it's supposed to. There's brokenness. There's insecurity. So I'm the one that needs to take charge. And when we think about surrendering, we feel like, no, 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 that sounds like I'm losing. I I, got to fix this. I, I, I don't need to surrender We would never say it. We might not ever even think it, but the idea of surrender almost sounds absurd. But look at the way we respond. What do we do? We try to control, not surrender to Jesus as Lord, because anytime we feel that void, we try to fill it. Our feelings are going to tell us, fill it with substances, fill it with alcohol, fill it to the point where you just binge with Netflix to the point where your brain is so numb you don't even have to think about it anymore. Our feelings are going to tell us to fill that void. Our feelings are going to tell us, hey, go spend more money, that'll fix it. Our feelings are going to tell us, go look for a new relationship, that'll fix it. Our feelings will tell us, you can't trust Christ, look at the mess you're in. That's what our feelings are going to tell us. And I get it, our feelings are real, are they not? Our feelings are so real, and they are so strong, and they are so consuming. There are some days where it feels like all we can think, all we can believe is what we feel, and our feelings get so loud that they become sometimes the most consuming part of our lives. Yes, they're strong. Yes, they're consuming. Yes, it can be hard to let go of those feelings and surrender to Jesus. Maybe you've been holding on to those feelings for so long that those toxic feelings that are keeping you from experiencing healing and wholeness, you've been holding on to those toxic feelings for so long, it's started to become more of a security blanket for you. And it's begun to rewire the way your brain thinks and the way your body copes. Especially for people who have a history of substances or abuse, the idea of surrendering to God feels like you're losing all over again. And so our feelings tell us, no, 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 don't surrender. Don't, 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 sur- don't surrender because that's, that's losing all over again. But friends, Christ loves us so much. He wants us to experience healing. 
He doesn't want us to keep believing the lie. He doesn't want us to keep allowing those toxic relationships or those toxic feelings to ruin our lives. He loves us so much, he wants us to surrender to his lordship. So his power and his authority can bring actual healing to the broken parts of our lives. Jesus doesn't want us to live in bondage to our feelings. He wants us to be whole. He loves us too much to let us stay with those brokenness and to stay in the sin. He loves you so much, but he wants you to let go of those feelings by faith. He wants you to be whole. I brought with me this morning one of the books that we're reading with our kids currently. It's called What Am I Feeling? It's a great book for kids. It's a very profound book for us adults. (laughs) Uh, and the book is, uh, it's, it tells a story about a little boy named Sam. And Sam, he feels flippy in his tummy. He's afraid. Uh, but throughout the book, Sam's dad and his school teacher try to help Sam understand a very deeply simple but a deeply profound truth. What Sam will tell his dad is, Sam, what you feel matters. It's okay to feel What we feel matters, church, because it reveals what's going on inside. What we feel matters reveals that something isn't working the way God intended it to. What we feel matters, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel hurt. It's okay to feel broken because you are. Sam's dad says, Sam, what you feel matters. But Sam, feelings are just feelings. They're not in charge of us. And Christian feelings, although the real They're just feelings. They're not in charge of us. That's why the mantra, by grace, through faith, is so vital for us as believers. By grace, through faith, is so vital for us. We receive God's grace, and then we act in faith in spite of our feelings. This is why faith is greater than your feelings. You see, faith is going to lead you to healing. Faith is going to lead you to wholeness. Faith is going to lead you to Jesus. While your feelings are going to keep you in bondage. Faith will lead you to Jesus so that he can put your life back together again. Faith is going to lead you to him so that he can start to repair the brokenness, so that he can start to make you complete. While your feelings will lead you to things less than him, things that may scratch the itch, but will never heal the wound. Faith might actually lead you to go to counseling so you can have some consistent professional help experiencing the healing that only Jesus can provide. Faith will lead you to take that step to get that help that you need while your feelings, your feelings are going to keep you going at it alone. Your feelings will tell you nobody understands. Your feelings will tell you nobody gets you. Don't, don't, don't go try to get help. No, they, they, they won't get it. Your feelings will keep you alone, sequestered from help. Faith will lead you to Jesus. Feelings will lead you to anything and everything else. And when we, by faith, surrender to the lordship of Jesus, this means I'm surrendering to his control. This means I'm acknowledging he has a purpose and a plan in the broken mess of my life. I'm acknowledging Jesus can take this broken mess and he can use it for my good and for his glory. And when I'm okay with Jesus being Lord, and I'm okay with Jesus being in charge, and I'm not okay with the brokenness, but I'm okay that Jesus' sovereignty allowed me to experience this brokenness, when I'm okay to that, when I surrender to his lordship, then I get to experience his power. Then I get to experience his authority, and we begin to realize what an amazing gift his lordship actually is. Look at verses 9 and 10 of our text. The entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is ahead over every ruler and authority. So get this, church. Everything that makes God God exists in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us that you have been filled with Jesus. Some translations say you are complete in him. I think both are a great way to describe this concept. It's the idea of a completed action with ongoing results. You are filled At the moment of your salvation, Jesus Christ came in and he filled you. And that filling has ongoing results. So when you experience brokenness down the road, the filling that you had at the moment of your salvation continues to make you whole. And it continues to put those pieces back together. When you get hurt, Jesus says, let me heal that. That's what this concept, that's what this idea is, this continual working. It was completed at the moment of our salvation, and it continues to produce results throughout the course of our life. 
Despite that hurt that happened in your past, as real as it was, as painful, as wrong as it was, Christ has filled you, and he wants to keep on filling you, putting those pieces back together. Christ wants to keep on filling you, putting back into your life the things that sin so ravagely took away from you. Jesus says, let me fill that. The hurt that we're inevitably going to experience down the road, Jesus is going to be right there to say, hey, let me fix that. Let, let, let me fill this. Let me make this part of your life complete again. Those feelings and those feelings of inadequacy, those feelings of insecurity, those feelings like I'm not enough and I'm just a broken mess, the Bible tells us in our text that they have no authority over us anymore because Jesus is Lord of everything, verse number 10. Jesus is Lord of everything, and because he's Lord of everything, he's Lord over these things, and I've been filled with and by him. So those feelings of guilt and inadequacy and insecurity and the feelings that I'm not enough, Paul is telling us they have no authority over you anymore. They have no legal claim to your life. 1 Corinthians 6.17 Anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Get this, if you're in Christ, you're one spirit with the Lord. That means you're one spirit with his power. That means you're one spirit with his authority. And that sin that keeps coming into your life and it makes you feel broken, you have power and authority over it now because you are one spirit with Jesus Christ who is Lord over all. When Paul tells us that we've been filled by him, he is showing us all the resources we have at our disposal to feel complete, to be whole. He's showing us all the different ways that we can combat the lie that we are incomplete. In union with Christ, we as Christians, we have been rooted. We have been established. We have been built up in the faith with the same power and authority that Jesus possesses. Christians, we're not supposed to be tumbleweeds with no roots blown around. Paul doesn't say, hey, Christian, you're a tumbleweed. (laughs) No, he says you're rooted. Picture a big, huge oak tree with deep roots running deep, deep into the ground that gives it stability and it gives it power. Paul says, in Christ, you are rooted. You don't have to be blown around by your feelings anymore. You don't have to be tossed around by the brokenness of the world. Paul says you are rooted. You are established. You are held firm in the faith of the finished work of Christ. Now, living in this, walking in this, it's not a one-and-done deal. Those of us that have walked with Christ for any length of time, you know surrender is not just one-and-done, right? (laughs) If only it were that easy. No, surrender is a daily thing. We have to daily surrender to the lordship of Jesus. The truth is God's not up in heaven tapping his foot, being like, man, why don't they get their act together? No, life is a journey, and we're not expected to sprint through it. We're just to make progress. Steady progress is possible when we realize that we are grounded and rooted in Christ. Paul says you are established in the faith. What does that mean? We are established in our belief in the finished work of Jesus. What Christ did on the cross, the gospel, that is what we are established in. This is why Paul calls on believers who are united to Christ to use these promises, utilize these benefits, and to not be led astray by any teaching or feeling that is contrary towards the gospel. Paul reminds us all that we know about Christ and all that we possess in Christ through faith. We, as believers, have full assurance that we can be rooted and grounded and established in him. We experience the lordship of Jesus. How do we, how do we experience this? How do we experience the power and the authority that Jesus has as Lord? We experience the lordship of Jesus by daily surrender. We experience the benefits of his lordship living under his authority, with the power of his authority as Lord over all. We experience these benefits when we daily surrender. And sometimes it's not just daily surrender. Sometimes it's moment by moment surrender. Sometimes it's you got to surrender in the morning, and then by the time lunch rolls around, you got to surrender again because <laughs> those feelings pop back up. We exper- but we experience the lordship of Jesus by daily surrender. So we've seen how Jesus Christ is Lord This allows us to experience wholeness because it gives us access to his power and his authority. But Paul is also going to show us something else about Christ that allows us to experience his wholeness. Whereas Jesus Christ as Lord deals with his person, our next thought this morning deals with the work of Christ, and that is Jesus Christ is triumphant. Jesus Christ is triumphant. We see this in verse 11 through verse number 15. 
So Paul is telling us believers about the benefits available to us because we are united in Christ to walk in him or to live in him faithfully and wisely, especially in the face of all these false beliefs that'll tell us things contrary to gospel, and especially in the face of all these feelings that'll tell us things contrary to the gospel. Paul wants us to understand all the resources we have in Christ so that we can walk in wholeness. Paul says, in Christ we have been spiritually circumcised or set apart from the realm of the flesh to the realm of the spirit. Now, while in the Old Testament the physical act of circumcision uh, was required, it was always about the heart. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and all your soul so that you will live. The point of physical circumcision was to remind them that they needed to surrender their heart to God, that Jesus should hold the highest place of affection in their life. Now in Colossians, verses 11 and 12, Paul is talking about the death of Christ, not the literal Old Testament practice. Baptism relates to Christ's death and burial, but it is not the Old Testament equivalent of circumcision. Part of circumcision, God was using that to set apart the nation of Israel as a physical nation on the planet earth. He was trying to make them different in a physical way. This is its own unique nation. So part of circumcision in the Old Testament was to set apart the nation of Israel as different. That would happen regardless of whether or not they loved God. Because it was a physical act, it was a physical thing. God was doing that to separate them along ethnic familial lines. Baptism, by contrast, pictures another line of descent entirely. Baptism pictures that we are born again by the Spirit. Circumcision bore demand for holiness. It pointed to the need for God's people to consecrate their hearts and live in accordance with His covenant. Baptism comes along and says, you're already living in a line with the covenant. Baptism says you've already been made new in Christ. Baptism says this person has been regenerated. This person has been made holy. Baptism, on the other hand, testifies that a person has been born again. It testifies that a person is united to Christ. This is why we don't baptize infants, because they're not united to Christ yet. It symbolizes union with Christ's death and complete separation from our former way of life. Likewise, as believers, we are raised with him through faith, according to God's power. Paul is using both of these as an example to help us understand our salvation. We have been separated from our former way of life, and we have been raised to walk in the power that is ours in Christ. Paul goes on and says, In him we have died to sin and been raised to new life through Christ's baptism and death and resurrection. In him we've had all of our sin forgiven. In him all of our spiritual debt was forgiven at the cross. In Jesus, we have certainty over Satan and over death. We have certainty of victory. Now, in verse 13, Paul tells the Colossians that prior to their faith in Christ, they were spiritually dead, and they were separated from God's people because they were Gentiles. Paul's like, before you place your faith and trust in Christ, you were separated from him. You weren't whole in any real sense. You were, spiritually speaking, dead. But then Paul says, hey, after Christ... You are now raised to walk in the newness of life. You are now spiritually alive. You are now made new. In Christ, God made them alive and forgave all of their sins. But notice verse 14. This is where it starts to get really good. Verse 14, Paul says, He erased the certificate of debt with its obligation that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. What Paul is doing here is Paul is giving us an incredibly vivid picture of what God did when God saved us. Salvation was all God. We couldn't do anything to save ourselves. And Paul is giving us a picture of how God has saved us through the work of Christ. He says, you are forgiven. You are made new. How did that happen? He took our sin and he nailed it to the cross. Our sin, the Bible says that certificate of debt, that list of everything you've done wrong, that list of all the ways you broke God's law, that list, that certificate that said, you are not enough, you owe, you need to be punished. Paul says Jesus took it and he nailed it to the cross. Nailed it to the cross. That sin has no more legal obligation over us because it has been nailed to the cross. But get this, church, it's not just our sin. Notice verse 14. Notice what he says. The certificate of debt, the sin, all the ways we broke God's law. Jesus upheld the holiness of God's law when he, punished, when he was punished on the cross. It was erased, canceled, forgiven. But it's not just our sin. Look at verse 14. The certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. 
So it wasn't just our sin, church. It was also the shame that comes along with sin. That shame, that dishonor, that disgrace that you feel because you know your past. You know the sin that you committed and the dishonor and the disgrace that goes along with it. That shame that seems to haunt us. Paul is telling us Jesus took it and he nailed it to the cross. That shame that you have struggled with for years has no more power over you because Jesus took it and he nailed it to the cross. But it's not just our shame. It's also our guilt. I mean, we all know we've sinned. We know we've fallen short. We know we violated God's law. I don't have to convince us of that. But Paul tells us Jesus took that guilt, that knowledge, that knowledge that I have sinned, that knowledge that I have violated God's law, that knowledge that tells me I have missed the mark. Paul tells us that Jesus took that and he nailed that to the cross. Guilt's a tricky one to get rid of. (laughs) He tells us Jesus nailed that guilt to the cross, but church, it's not just our guilt, it was also our condemnation. The judgment that we rightfully deserve because we are guilty that condemnation, that feeling of judgment, that feeling of disapproval, that feeling that says I'm unfit, that I'm not good enough. I mean, we've all been on the receiving end of this, right? Where a person who was maybe a little more uh, holier than thou looked down on us and disapproved of us because of our past or because of a past mistake or because of our sin, that condemnation that judgment, that disapproval, it has been nailed to the cross. It has no more legal claim over your life. You don't have to live in condemnation. You don't have to live with the burden of that disapproval or that guilt or that shame because Jesus says, I nailed it to the cross. I erased it. The emptiness that comes along with sin. Sin will hollow you out, won't it? I mean, you have that moment and you you blew it again. And you get that sick, empty feeling that just empties you out. Or somebody else's sin, and it makes you feel worthless. It makes you feel empty. It makes you feel like you're nothing more than a piece of trash. You've lost somebody, and that person will never be there for you ever again. And you cry and you weep because your life feels so empty without them. Jesus says, I have taken that emptiness and I have nailed it to the cross. That emptiness is no longer a part of your reality. It has no more legal claim over your life. The insecurities that our sin brings. You think to yourself, if people only knew what I did, there's no way they would love me. I can never be honest about my past. I can never be transparent with how I failed. Those insecurities, you think if people only knew what was done to me, there's no way they would love me. I can't, I can't open up to them. These feelings of insecurity, they keep many of us from being real in our connection groups. I mean, we give the surface answers because we're good at keeping up the facade, right? But we're not real with our group. We're not real with our church family because these feelings of insecurity keep creeping back into us and they produce so much anxiety in our hearts. Jesus says, those insecurities, they are taken away. They are nailed to the cross. They are done. It's not a part of my reality anymore. I don't have to put my life living with those insecurities because Jesus has nailed it to the cross. Those false feelings those lies that we so often believe, and they're pesky, aren't they? Those false feelings that tell you you're not enough, you're not complete, you don't have what it takes. Those false feelings, Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, nope. You know what I did with those? Nailed it to the cross. It's a done deal. Sin and its obligation, sin, and all the ugliness that goes along with it, sin, and all the brokenness that goes along with it, sin, and all the ways it wreaks havoc in our lives, Jesus says it's erased, it is canceled, because I have nailed it to the cross. Sin has no more legal claim over your life. Sin and all the ugly side effects, it has no more authority over you. It can't touch you. Because you're in Christ. You're united with Christ. 
And all these things have been nailed to the cross. Cross nailed our sin and all the ugliness that goes along with it to the cross. I love Hebrews 9.26. The writer says, But now he, appeared one, he, appeared, he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. How does Jesus remove our sin? How does Jesus remove the ugliness that goes along with it? He sacrificed himself on the cross. It's been defeated. But get this, look at verse number 15. I love this, because it's not just that it's been defeated. Paul takes it a step further. Paul gives us an even better picture of what Jesus did. Look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. So get this, all these things that we struggle with, all these feelings of insecurity, all the sin, all the guilt, all the shame, all the condemnation, Jesus literally dragged it out in the street and publicly disgraced it, showing the whole world that he is more powerful, that he was triumphant. Friend, that's shame that you cannot let go of. Jesus dragged it out in the street and put it to shame. The disgrace that we feel because of our sin, Jesus has publicly disgraced that. Jesus is like, look, I dragged it out in the street and I shot it. It's dead for all to see. I publicly disgraced it. I humiliated it. I triumphed over it on the cross. All those things that we struggle with, and they are real. I don't want to downplay that. They are so real, and it seems like we can never get victory. Jesus says, let me handle that. Let me take it out in the street and beat it to death. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. This phrase, disgraced them publicly, it relates to God humiliating these spiritual rulers in a, public dis- in a public spectacle of shame and defeat. The word triumph, it evokes this imagery of a triumphal procession. So in the ancient world, when a general or a king, when they would conquer a town or they would conquer a kingdom, what they would do is after they conquered it, they would have this giant parade down the main street of that kingdom. And that king or that general or that ruler would put all their power on display. And he would have his whole army there. So that kingdom can see how powerful he was. And all the conquests of his spoil, all the spoils of war, all his wealth were put on public display. So that kingdom could see why that general was greater. And then at the end of the parade, the guy that was conquered, the general that lost, that was beaten, they would be dragged through the street at the end of that parade so everybody could see their defeat and everybody could see their shame and everybody could see their disgrace. That is what Jesus Christ has done to sin for us. You see, that doesn't sound very civil. Friends, we need to get a little uncivil in our fight for joy. When these feelings and these lies come up against you, sucker punch them with grace in the name of Jesus. I mean, seriously, Peter didn't say the devil's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour because this is a civil fight. Our fight for joy is just that. It is a battle and it is a fight. And Paul goes to great lengths to help us understand how defeated and how disgraced our sin actually is. It comes across in this word triumph. I love what uh, N.T. Wright said. He said the cross, it was not the defeat of Christ at the hands of powers. No, no. It was the defeat of powers at the hands, yes, those bleeding hands of Jesus. You see, when Jesus died on the cross and he conquered death through his resurrection, he showed the world that he is greater. He showed the world that he has more powerful. He is more powerful. And all the darkness and all the forces of sin and hell threw everything they had at him, and they could not stop him because he is triumphant. He is is our victory. And friends, the victory that Jesus won on the cross is our victory as well. The sin of your past has no legal claim over your life. Has no power. It can't touch you. The sin of your past has no power over you anymore. The sin that was committed against you has been defeated by Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. Child, you're not broken. That thing that you're fighting, I dragged it out in the street and I publicly disgraced it so all the world will know that I am more powerful. Hold your head high, child. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are kings and queens. In Christ, you are complete. The very thing that makes you feel like you're not whole, the very thing that keeps you awake at night, and I get it, I've had those nights where you're struggling, where you feel like sin has ripped a part of your life away, 
and you lose sleep because you're like, I, this, my life, will it ever be the same? You wonder if you'll ever feel whole again. You wonder if you'll ever, well, things will ever be back to the way they were. And you lose sleep night after night. And you wake up in the morning and you feel even more exhausted because you have been struggling with this. You've been wrestling for it with years, for years and years and years because it makes you feel incomplete. Whatever that thing is, friend, it has been nailed to the cross. It has been publicly disgraced and it has been triumphed over by Jesus Christ. This is our victory, church. This is our wholeness. Now, how do we experience the triumph of Christ? Because, I mean, it's one thing to feel good right now, right? Yeah, woohoo! It's one thing to feel triumphant when I'm up here yelling at you. <laughs> but we all know the reality that Monday's coming. And that feeling of triumph is going to go away. How do we experience the triumph of Jesus when it's Thursday and we've had an awful week and it feels like, man, I can't get any sleep and I can't get any victory and I've been trying and trying and trying and this whole week just feels like a failure? Well, we experience the triumph of Christ when we learn to instantly take our feelings to God. Because here's what's going to happen. Yes, these feelings are dead. The shame is dead. The condemnation is dead. But they're kind of like zombies. They don't just lie down in the street and say, okay, I'll leave you alone. no. Those feelings have this pesky way of coming back when we least expect it, don't they? And sometimes, I know it's a buzzword, but something triggers those feelings, something triggers that guilt, something triggers it in our hearts and our mind, and all of a sudden we feel like we're struggling with it all over again. Sometimes it feels like it just blindsides us out of nowhere. It's like, where did that come from? I thought I was good, and it just, how do we experience the triumph of Christ in that moment? Well, when those feelings are triggered and that moment when you can start to feel the old pattern and the old lies creeping into your mind, you need to instantly give it to God in prayer. As believers, we need to get really good at instantly taking our feelings to God. There's going to be a moment in your life where that sin, you're going to start to feel that temptation rising up inside of you. Before that temptation grows towards this big, ugly monster that you feel like you can't get away from, when it's still that small seed of temptation, instantly give it to God in prayer. Say, God, this temptation's back. God, this feeling is back. God, the guilt is coming back. Would you take it? That's how we leave this on the cross. That's how we continue to walk in triumph on a day-in and day-out basis. And there's going to be days, believers, there's going to be days, church, where it feels like all you've done is given everything to God. <laughs> but friends, that is the victory. Giving those feelings to God, learning to instantly deflect the worry, instantly deflect the condemnation, instantly reflect the guilt, instantly deflect the temptation, instantly take it to God in prayer. But not only do we need to instantly take our feelings to God in prayer, we need to constantly, constantly, constantly remind ourselves that we are whole in Christ. I mean, we do our best week in and week out to open up the scriptures and preach Jesus to you. We do our best to get songs that help us to focus on Jesus. We try to create an entire service where we as a church can take our eyes and put our eyes onto Jesus and focus on him and what he has done for us. But my friends, an hour and a half a week is not going to cut it. We need to, on a regular basis, look to Jesus, remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. We need to meditate on it. We need to live in it. I would encourage many of us, go home this week and memorize verses 6 through 15. Memorize how vividly Jesus Christ has defeated your sins. So when those feelings come and that temptation comes, you are now armed to fight it. You are now armed to remind yourself, no, 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 those feelings have been nailed to the cross. That guilt has been nailed to the cross. It's got no more claim over my life because I am a child of God. I am complete in Him. Remind yourself on a regular, regular basis that you are complete in Christ. Reinforce your new identity. Church, the devil isn't going to take a break. The devil doesn't take a vacation. These false feelings, these, we'll call them zombie feelings because we know we're dead, but they keep coming back. They aren't going to let up. We can't let up either. Constantly remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Church, get really good at instantly taking those feelings to God. This is what it means to walk with God in prayer. And when those triggers happen, take it to God. Take it to Jesus. And then constantly, constantly remind yourself you're complete in him. Remind yourself of the triumph. Remind yourself of the victory. In this book that we've been reading at home, little Sam is struggling with fear. That's why he feels slippy in his tummy. He's afraid of getting up in front of his class and doing show and tell. 
He's afraid to talk in front of all his friends. But Sam remembers what his dad said. Feelings are important, but feelings are just feelings. So Sam says a prayer. He instantly takes it to God in prayer. And then he does show and tell. And he does a great job. He does a great job doing show and tell. And the story ends with little Sam thinking, I like how brave feels. I like how brave felt. Church, you know the amazing part about all this is? As we regularly surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, on a daily, day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, just surrender to the fact that Jesus is in control and Jesus is Lord, as we regularly surrender to that, as we learn to instantly take these feelings and this guilt and the shame, as we learn to instantly take that to God in prayer, as we constantly remind ourselves that we're whole in Christ, our feelings are going to catch up. As you regularly remind yourself that sin has no more power over me, and I'm, and I'm not saying this as somebody who's got it figured out, I'm saying this as someone who struggles with this on a regular basis, but I realize this is my only hope. When we, as we constantly do this, we, as we regularly surrender, as we learn to instantly take our feelings to God, as we remind ourselves that we are whole in Christ, our feelings will catch up. And church, I think you're going to like how brave feels. Church, I think you're going to like how whole feels. How complete, complete in Christ. I think you're going to like how that feels. We are complete. We are triumphant. Jesus is Lord. And because he is Lord, we can experience his authority and his power. And because Jesus is triumphant, we can experience wholeness. Jesus is enough for our wholeness. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.